Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the fifth installment in our Jason Bourne movie review series. Today we are reviewing Jason Bourne. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. And I feel like this is kind of uh, typical for a lot of movies, especially more recent ones, to just kind of give like the name of the character, like just Jason Bourne instead of... Like we've had previously, like the Born Supremacy, the Born Ultimatum. No, just Jason Bourne this time. Yeah, the title. I, don't, I think the title, in certain ways, lets the audience know that Matt Damon is coming back in the titular role because last time, go back and listen to our previous four reviews. Jeremy Renner was, well, no Jason Bourne. He was very different. That was a very different movie, a very different kind of side branch connectivity but yeah matt damon's back paul greengrass is back directing christopher rouse is back editing john powell is back with the score which sounds like he didn't really do anything new he just sounds like he lifted the score from the other trilogy maybe you'll have Mm -hmm. different thoughts but um and i was pretty shocked to see christopher rouse who won the oscar for editing for ultimatum he's here producing and writing he, the editor, also co-wrote the script with Greengrass. And they've never done that before. Right. And it's actually kind of funny because we noted that uh, Jason or that Matt Damon had come out and say, said that he was like, eh, I don't know if we'll come back for it. You know, I feel like the Jason Borg character is pretty much done at this point. Um, and then Legacy came out. And then out of nowhere, here comes a new... Uh, team up again with J- with Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass coming out with a brand new uh, Jason Bourne movie, um, which was kind of surprising at the time because I don't know if there were many people who were expecting another Bourne movie to come out with Matt Damon, especially after the trilogy ended and he said that you didn't know if they were going to come back for one. Yeah, I mean, go back and listen to our podcast. We won't give anything away, but clearly there was room for another installment despite the trilogy kind of wrapping itself up. But you're right. It had been uh, just about a year shy of a decade. Last time Mm -hmm. audiences saw Born in Ultimatum, and it had been four years since Legacy. And as we talked about, there was a possibility Renner was going to come back or team up with Born. And in the special features, Matt Damon said, Every few months, him and Greengrass would get together and say, when are we going to make another Bourne film? And so if you listen to Damon, it was kind of his idea to bring Greengrass back to Universal and do this. So it is pretty surprising that it took so long. But nevertheless, it did come out Friday, July 29th, 2016. The last time a Bourne movie came out in in July was in 2004 with the Bourne Supremacy. Ah, yes. Yep. And it should be noted that The Jason Bourne saga across all five films now spans 14 years. That's a long time for five movies. That is a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. Because it's in 
in some ways, it feels like uh, the original trilogy would have been the end. And I'm sure a lot of people probably thought that that was the end. Legacy was kind of its own movie, still somewhat tied to the to the universe. But at the same time, it was taking on a, a new character. There was no Jason Bourne in it, although we do get to see some of the aftermath. So, yeah, I, again, uh, it's kind of surprising to see another Bourne movie kind of come out after so many years of being away. Because the last movie we had was in 2007, and now it's 2016. So it's been, yeah, almost uh, about nine years since we've had a Bourne movie release in theaters. So it's been it's been a minute since we've seen Bourne, especially Matt Damon back in the role. And just to give you a quick overview of what the top movies were back in 2016, La La Land, which was huge at the Oscars, all 14 nominations. Mm-hmm. Should have been Best Picture. It's a story for another time. <laughs> uh, Arrival also came out that year, and we will, if all goes according to plan, we will be reviewing Arrival later this year. Yep. Um, Moonlight won Best Picture, Deadpool, Rogue One, Captain America Civil War, Split, which we reviewed last year. Yeah, it would have been last year. Okay. Um, Fantastic Beasts, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which we also reviewed last year, and Batman v Superman. So, Big year for superhero movies, Star Wars, and some fantastic film-type movies with La La Land. Yep, yep. I know that I was definitely in the theater for La La Land. We did talk about it when we, when we reviewed it. Yeah. Um, I was also in the theater, I guess, for Suicide Squad. I forgot oh. that this came out in 2016. Uh, that That's movie right. has since garnered a lot of hate. <laughs> Oscar winning. Uh, yeah, technically, it did win an Oscar. But the question is, were you in the theater for... Jason Bourne. Technically, I was. I was in the drive-in <laughs> for it. Okay. Uh, with my uncle. It was Jason Bourne. Uh, there may have been other movies, but I don't think we stayed for them. Mm. Um, but I remember specifically we were there for the see Jason Bourne. Because at this time, my uncle and I were pretty big fans of the Bourne series. Most notably the original trilogy. So we were... Pr- we were he was more excited than I was about Jason Bourne. I was kind of like, eh, wasn't really like too into seeing another sequel after nine years of uh, pretty much nothing. Yeah, you're right. And I think a lot of Bourne fans of the original trilogy did come back to theaters for it. And mm-hmm. I know I was there in theaters. I believe I saw this, at least this is when I last had it logged, was September 1st, 2016. Um, I know it was about a little over a month since the movie had released. We didn't get to see it right away. I just remember we almost had the theater to ourselves at that point. Yeah. Um, I did see it with my family. Um, The theater experience was fine. Um, My girlfriend at the time, now fiance, she, we had, we had showed her, the family had showed her the first one. So she wasn't like totally lost. But uh, yeah. um, so my I just remember my initial thoughts out of the theater. I remember feeling somewhat disappointed with the film and just kind of surprised by it overall. And I had originally rated it a seven out of ten. So we'll see if my thoughts change by the end of the review. Yeah, I can say that my rating for Jason Bourne, I think it was a it was either a six or seven when I came out. But at some point I had, I guess, re-rated it to a five. <laughs> oh, so. We'll see if my rating still holds mm. from uh, whenever I originally rated it on IMDb, um, or I guess the five. Now we'll see if that rating of a five still holds when we finish this review. What surprised me the most, not just about this, but between Damon and Greengrass, is these two 
have a very strong brotherly love towards each other. They mm -hmm. uh, really love to work with each other. And they did. This is not their first team up in 10 years. Um, just three years after Ultimatum, they teamed up for Green Zone. And that was based on purportedly true events in 2003 in the Iraq War with weapons of mass destruction. Alan and I talked about this outside of the podcast. I did not like this movie at all. I know this movie, Green Zone, is very much polarized. Um, some people thought it was pretty bad. Some people thought it was really good. And that's kind of the story of the Jason Bourne as well. I would say if you look at the scores, they seem to be kind of polarizing, um, especially those Rotten Tomatoes percentages. Yeah. So let's get into scores real quick. Uh, IMDb at a 6.6, .6, which is, again, pretty low for the series. Not super low, but lower than, especially from the first trilogy. It is the um, lowest in the series on IMDb. Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking, because uh, Born Legacy was at a 6.8? 6.7. Okay, 6.7. Okay, well, I would say that they're relatively within margin of error of, <laughs> of each other. Okay. <laughs> um, at least for IMDb. Uh, Metascore at 58, that's that's low, um, but last time was a 61, I think. Um, yeah, not far off from each other, but yeah. nevertheless, 61 is considered generally positive, 58 is considered mixed. Right. Rotten Tomatoes, however, is a different story. 54% critic score and a 55% audience score, which is very low. That I should note that is the lowest in the series. Yeah, so that seems to be the story so far. Uh, IMDb lowest, Metascore lowest, Rotten Tomatoes lowest, but the cinema score is at an A-. And last time it was at a B. So as bumped up a little bit since then that did shock me because if you'll recall uh born identity and born supremacy were also given a minuses so audiences mm -hmm. technically audiences out of the theater consider this to be just as good as those first two movies keep in mind those movies came out like i said almost 15 years prior to this one though so audiences some of them were probably the same but they had changed because i know you and me weren't in the theater for identity and supremacy right right and to wrap it all up with scores, Letterbox at a 2.9. That's still pretty low. So the story with this one is, I guess it's pretty much the lowest scoring Bourne movie that we have. Yes. Uh, of all the previous Bourne movies that are, or at least were full-length movies. Yeah. So <laughs> that's not looking too good. It's really not. Um, unfortunately, this is considered by audiences and critics, aside from the kind of weird meta, uh, cinema score, this is considered the worst entry in the series. Yeah. yeah, if you take the averages of all of them, this yeah, this is definitely the lowest. So let's get into money real quick. Uh, budget of 120 million. Um, opening weekend, it garnered in 59.2 million domestically. And overall, it garnered in 162.2 million. Foreign markets, 254 million, with a worldwide total of 416.2 million dollars. Yeah, so this is technically the second highest grossing film in the franchise worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, it's also the highest foreign grossing film, and this also is the widest release of all of them, uh, released in over 4,000 theaters. Ah, uh, well, so so pretty much every theater that ha every theater that did exist probably was playing this movie in one of its screens. I'm guessing. 
especially if it's releasing in 4,000 theaters. Yeah, it was released everywhere. It was huge, especially mm. because everybody loved Jason Bourne and was wanting another film. So it was exciting to see that another one was coming back. And if you do look at those box office numbers, they reflect that because yep. Legacy did very poorly domestically. And overall, it was it was a disappointment. Um, but you can see those numbers are up. Go back and listen to our review of Legacy to hear more about that. But the numbers are up a, a decent amount uh, from Legacy, especially worldwide. Mm -hmm. So audiences were more keen to see that. And with how much um, Jason Bourne grows, this officially cemented the series at $1.6 billion yep. in total. I'm sure it has helped by in no part uh, with Matt Damon's return to Jason Bourne, which mm -hmm. I know a lot of audiences were kind of uh, disappointed by with Bourne Legacy, how he was practically non-existent in that movie. So did it have, I mean, I know this opened in July, which is a big summer month. Did it have very much competition opening weekend? Uh, it had a little bit. Uh, when it released, it was number one. Um, its competition was Star Trek Beyond, which was number, which had already been in for two weeks. And Matt and Bad Moms, which uh, just released that week as well, but that came out at number three. Mm. Um, second week is when Suicide Squad was released, and that took number one spot, bumping Jason Bourne down to the number two spot, followed by Bad Moms, then Secret Life of Pets number four, and then Star Trek Beyond number five. Surprisingly, Star Trek Beyond dropped from number two to number five. Um, week number four, or sorry, week number three, it dropped to number four. Uh, Sausage Party released this week, but it came out at number one, and Peach Dragon came out at number and the number three spot. And week four dropped down even farther to number seven, where it eventually just kind of got washed over by the rest of the films. Uh, War Dogs released this week at number three, and Kubo and the Two Strings released this week at number one, or sorry, number four. Um, and actually, funny enough, Ben-Hur, the remake of Ben-Hur released this week as well, but it came out at number six, so one spot right above it. Oh, wow. Um, so it did all right, I guess, in the box office in terms of placement, but not great. Suicide Squad kind of stayed number one when it came out in, uh, when it came out for a while, and it just did not help with uh, other films like Secret Life of Pets, um, which kind of or uh, with War Dogs and Kubo and Sausage Party. So it didn't do so hot necessarily in box office. It did okay, I suppose, but not great. So clearly the trailer, or maybe not even the trailer, just the excitement of seeing another Bourne movie with Matt Damon, clearly that got us into the theater four years ago. Mm -hmm. Watching the trailer today, does this get you pumped up, especially coming off of Legacy? Coming off of Legacy, I would be more keen to watch Jason Bourne than I would to watch Legacy. However, I would be skeptical because it is Jason Bourne returning for a fourth movie after the initial trilogy came out. So I would be skeptical. And I remember at the time, uh, the the, the thing I remember most from these trailers is that shot of uh, Matt Damon punching one of the guys and him just going immediately down to the floor. I remember that specifically. In terms of it getting me in the seat, uh, I wasn't super keen on it. I, I didn't really know. I remember thinking that nah, I'm not really too excited to watch it. And only because my uncle had paid for me and whoever else came with us to, to go to the drive-in to watch it. That was the reason why I ended up seeing it. So at the time, I wasn't. I don't remember being too excited. And if I didn't come in with any, if I came in kind of just seeing the trilogy, 
Um, I, I don't know if I'd be very excited either. Either the, tra- the trailers seem to give a lot away as well when I was watching them. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. When the tr- the first um, footage was released during Super Bowl 50, mm-hmm. I glimpsed it and I was very excited. But watching it today, um, I guess the trailer would get me in. I'd mostly just be curious to see Damon's reprisal, but the trailer doesn't really get me pumped. It does show a majority of the movie, which seems to be a big issue with this whole franchise we've noted. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember one thing that did turn me off actually from the trailer was seeing Bourne as this, not really a street fighter, but he is kind of doing this bare knuckle boxing out in the European hills or whatever that right. just did not some, some of this footage just did not strike me as a Bourne movie in many ways. So I was curious to see it, but clearly I was busy enough not to go opening weekend. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Jason Bourne and you don't want the film spoiled for you, we are about to get into spoiler territory with our review. So go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and watch the film and come back and click play and we're ready to talk about it. It's been 12 years since the events of The Bourne Ultimatum. Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon, has gotten involved in bare-knuckle fighting bouts. Nikki Parsons, reprised by Julia Stiles, has joined a hacktivist group in Iceland and has successfully hacked the CIA. She is able to extract files on Treadstone, Blackbriar, and other black ops before her connection is severed by Heather Lee, played by Alicia Vikander. Heather is the head of the CIA's security division. She successfully implants malware into the files that Nikki pulled, so the next time they are open, the CIA will be able to get the location. Nikki and Jason meet up in Athens, right in the middle of a violent protest. However, CIA operatives are there to take out Nikki. The two attempt to outrun the CIA, but Nikki is shot, and in her dying breath, she hands Jason a key. Jason escapes and finds a locker which has a USB drive with the files Nikki pulled from the CIA servers. Inside these files is information on Jason's father. Jason tracks down Christian DeSalt, the man running the hacktivist group that Nikki was a part of. He opens the files and learns that his fire was connected to Treadstone. But before he can read anything further, Heather remotely wipes the computer. Meanwhile, CIA director Robert Dewey, played by Tommy Lee Jones, has started a secret relationship with Aaron Kalur, played by Riz Ahmed, who is the head of a company named Deep Dream, which is akin to a Facebook, Google, or Apple of today's age. Kalur refuses Dewey's full access slash backdoor request, claiming it would go against their mission despite being funded by Dewey during their startup. Dewey's plan was to use Deep Dream for mass surveillance, which would be used by a new CIA initiative, Iron Hand, i.e. A, a ruthless version of Blackbriar. But after being refused by Kalur and becoming increasingly suspicious of Lee, Dewey orders his assassin to take them both out during a big conference in Vegas. However, Bourne interferes with, interferes with this plan. Kalur is shot, but not fatally, and Bourne chases after Dewey. Come to find out, Dewey's assassin is the same man that killed Bourne's father and Nikki. Also, upon further revelation, Bourne's father was also the creator of Treadstone and was also planning on exposing the the CIA's operations. Heather enters the room and shoots Dewey, leaving Jason to chase after the man who killed his father. A chase scene ensues. Bourne and the asset converge in a sewer. You're a traitor. You've always been a traitor. It's in your blood, the assassin says, just before Jason snaps his neck. Some time has passed now and Heather convinces her higher up to put her in Dewey's place. She plans on bringing Jason back to the agency, but will kill him if he refuses. Heather meets with Bourne, asking him to return, but he responds with, let me think about it. Heather returns to her car to find a recording of her conversation just moments before, outlining her plan to kill Jason as Extreme Ways begins to play and the credits roll. 
So, as you could tell from Alan's plot summary, I, I have to bring it up right away. There are, it does feel like there are two plots to this movie, and I don't yeah. think they converge together very well. So, yeah, there are definitely two plots, yes. Yeah, so on one hand, we ha- there has to be a good reason to bring Bourne back, and that's what they talked about. In the special features, Greengrass wasn't going to come back unless they could think of a really compelling plot to further Jason Bourne's story. So their compelling plot is to have this reveal that Jason Bourne's father was a founder of the Treadstone program, and he possibly was wanting his son to join, but his son wasn't aware of the Treadstone program. So in order to get it to happen, CIA direct... Well... He wasn't CIA director back then, but Dewey had this assassin um, murder Bourne's father and tell him it was terrorist to give him extra motivation to join the program. And it just so happens this assassin also hates Bourne because apparently some of those files did get out, even though I feel like they're kind of retconning the end of Legacy, which is another frustrating thing we'll talk about. And this assassin was captured for two years in a Syrian prison camp. So he wants revenge on Bourne. That's the first plot. The next one is the CIA wants to overtake Deep Dream and spy on all of us as if it isn't doing that already in this movie, apparently. So the whole Aaron Kalur, Jason Bourne don't know each other. They have nothing to do with each other. I'm really struggling to see how these really connect or have any meaning. Right. And I, I agree with you. Um, and we'll get into further detail in a little bit. But I I do. Jason Bourne is definitely like the glue to these two stories. Right. He's the glue to his own personal story of finding out more information about his father, how his father was in with Treadstone. He was the creator of Treadstone and even tried to expose the CIA for all of its operations, including Treadstone. Um, and then ultimately was killed for it by the same man who is working for Dewey right now. Um who ends up killing uh, Nikki and then tries to kill Bourne, of course. So Jason Bourne is then connected because of the assassin. He's a connected, and of course, because he's a part of, he was a part of Treadstone and you got the first three movies that he was a part of, that he's kind of the connective tissue between the second story, which is the Deep Dream story. So it's not a very good connection. It's kind of a weak connection, um, but there is a connection and like i said we can get into detail a bit later on this um because before we get into negatives i would say one of the (laughs) positives i have is that i do like that the assassin has some kind of emotional attachment to our main lead here the same guy that is the assassin that is partially due to this that is partially uh the glue of these two halves of the story i like that there is the connection there between them because before we've had assassins all, we've had a bunch of assassins in the last few movies, but they've all kind of been pretty nameless. There's dare to be more of a, uh, a an obstacle for Bourne to get past than it is than they were to be some kind of emotional reminder or some kind of emo- or having some kind of emotional attachment to our main lead. I I did enjoy that that part of the story of having a bit adding a little bit more to the asset. What do you think, Corbin? So I do appreciate that they are giving the asset an emotional tie to Jason Bourne. He's the one that murdered his father, and he blames Bourne for blowing his cover and having him be in that Syrian prison camp for two years. Okay, I like all of that, but I think one of the series' just worst things that it did not do was it never gave Bourne a concrete nemesis aside from 
this organization Treadstone has always been his nemesis. Each right. movie he goes through another big bad, almost like it's a video game and he's going through the different bosses and there's always a bigger boss at the end of each movie he has to defeat. He never had this main nemesis, whereas in the book series that's different. In the book series, his uh, main villain is Carlos the Jackal, which mm -hmm. I guess was actually a real person in real life. I was... I think this would be more compelling if this would have been a villain from like the first movie and now he's come back or something. I, I was almost wondering that at first because there was one asset that just disappeared after the first one, but, but he's not. So the other thing is um, I wish I'm, I'm trying not to get into negatives too quick, but since you brought it up, <laughs> I wish there was a stronger emotional catharsis towards the end or between these two because Bourne has no idea who this guy is except towards the very end when he realizes, oh, it's him. And when they finally get there, when they come to blows at the end, I feel like there's just not very much emotion involved. Um, like you killed my father. It's just like, hey, you're a bad guy. I got to stop you. Yeah. There's, you know, I, I – I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I wish that there was more to it. I like that it's here, I, I, but I do agree. I wish that they had done a little bit more with this character, adding some more emotional attachment. It's kind of funny because in every Bourne movie, we seem to go farther back in time with Jason Bourne's memory. Because yes. the first one, it just happens that he lost his memory after his first, uh, after one, after a hit that he had. Right. And then the second movie, we go back even farther to one of the first, uh, one of the first jobs that he's put on. Right. Then then the third movie, we go back even farther where we find out when he joined the program. And in this one, we go before her, the program was even, right when the program was just created, and we get to see a, uh, conver or a situation between him and his dad. The last time you got to see his dad. So every time we have a board movie, it goes back farther in his in his life. Um, maybe eventually we'll get to a part where he, he's he's a kid or something where he's oh, born probably. or something. Because they, every time we just keep going farther back into this man's life, which I, I do kind of enjoy because we're fleshing out his character, uh, but it's also you know, spread out between, at this point, four movies. So. But how do you feel about that? Because the ultimatum was supposed to answer the question, why did Bourne join Treadstone and then eventually brought Black Briar? And we get to see his initiation, which I felt all of that was very satisfying. But now they are kind of changing it and saying that he had a very emotional reason why he joined Treadstone. And that was because he believed his father was blown up by islamic terrorists right i don't know how do you feel about that because i feel like they're kind of retconning this in ultimatum because they never had this idea they just came up with like oh well once again they're coming back to treadstone and i'm kind of sick of treadstone because we explored that in the original trilogy thankfully mm -hmm. legacy moved away from that but now we're back and now we learn even deeper reasons why he joined treadstone i i honestly say at this point it's getting tired as to Give, bringing up motivations for Bourne to be a part of Treadstone. Yeah, I'll say this. Uh, you're right. They do retcon the uh, the information that they gave us in Ultimatum to a certain extent because they also kind of imply that Treadstone had already been following Jason or at the time um, David before he actually decided to join Treadstone, and that was because his father was a part of the of the was a part of it. Right. Um, so that's an interesting, it's an interesting thing that they bring up because in ultimately we know that 
he was the one who came to them. And we are told this as well in this one. So I don't know. I, I guess it doesn't bother me a whole lot. Um, the right kind that they have here with um, with Treadstone and Treadstone being the ones that are following him. And then it's his father that was a part of it. Because you're right. We never really hear about any of this in any of the three movies prior. So I, it doesn't bother me a whole lot, but I do agree with you. It's it's a weird retcon to bring up. In some ways, it does bother me because I feel like it lessens the impact of Bourne's motivation to join the program when he has to shoot that guy with the hood on. He is coming from an emotional energy that he didn't otherwise have if you just watch Ultimatum. He doesn't mm. know this guy in the hood, but... His father has been murdered by terrorists, so of course she's going to be ready to jump on board with this program and become this assassin, and it's kind of weird to think. I never really thought Bourne, uh, his family, had any connection to the CIA. Come to find out his dad was a pretty big deal with the CIA, so I hate to use the word soap opera-esque, but when you start bringing in amnesia, family members... And uh, all these very cartoonish villains. I'm sorry, Alan. I'm really trying not to get too negative right away. But when you bring all of this into the plot, it I will say it does make it hard for me to really go along with this new story they're creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, we'll, we'll get into the story here, like really get into it in a second. Because I, I think you and I, from the brief, from what we've talked about briefly, it seems like we have some pretty... Uh, similar thoughts on how it on where it goes but before we get too far into it i will say that uh it's an interesting choice to cap to tackle the i guess at the, especially at the time and still today of course uh the topic that uh, the topic of a person's privacy one of the main questions they bring up is what's better national security or personal privacy it's it's an interesting question for Jason Bourne to handle. I think. What what do you what do you think about bringing the story of that or bringing that question to Jason Bourne himself? I think it was a smart move to bring that into the storyline, not just because it was a hot topic, but also because Bourne was from a different world. Of course, Bourne was from espionage, but he's been it's it's been a decade at least, or mm-hmm. even longer. So the trade craft of espionage has greatly changed and it's much easier now and that's kind of the pin ultimate program is iron is an iron hand yeah iron hand yeah where they necessarily don't need assets anymore or assets don't need to do as much if they're able to just track everyone and listen to everyone all at once then they don't really need deep cover anymore they don't need the man on the ground going in that's all a fascinating idea and it kind of shows born as obsolete now so that does put his motivations in question and it does put the cia's questions and motivation as to why they would want to bring him in since he's really not necessary anymore so these are very interesting questions the movie brings up yeah and i would say that when the movie ends is kind of there isn't it doesn't exactly land on uh, what is more important national security or a citizen's privacy. It kind of lands on the ball is in your court kind of uh, it kind of lands on that in that area of the ball is in your court, but mostly looking at 
uh, the younger generation. And I think that they mostly pull this through with the character of Heather, because the character of Heather is when we first meet her, she's uh, like a major hacker. And she's able, she's running the security division in the CIA. And we get to see her, the first thing we see her do is hack into the computer that uh, Nikki is using to pull the files from the CIA servers. And she says, oh, I implanted a virus or I, I, I implanted malware into that USB drive. So we'll be able to know when it comes up, right? So we find out pretty early on that she's really good with uh, with security, right? And at the end of it, she's willing to kind of continue uh, Dewey's process, but at the same time, take it her own route where she will essentially kill Bourne if he's not willing to go along with them. And even though they're not going to have the same security as Deep Dream or uh, not going to have the partnership with Deep Dream, she's still going to go about it, right? She's still going to try and take over Deep Dream, even in the ending, even in the ending. So I think what the movie ends up landing on is a question uh, of when it comes to privacy, you know, what route are we going to actually take? And it's the it's the people that are younger, um, those are the ones who get to make that decision because we're the next generation. I think that's kind of where I was seeing the movie go there towards the end. Yeah, I think the movie does have a lot of good points to it, especially there towards the end with its conclusions, is that even Heather seems to be uh, kind of more of an innocuous person trying to do the right thing within the agency. But ultimately, that old saying like, great power corrupts greatly and ultimately yeah. she becomes corrupt the bigger the system the more corrupt it will become and also don't just put all of your faith in this supposedly benevolent system or benevolent government because you will be trading your freedom and privacy supposedly at the expense of your safety but ultimately it's not at your safety it's usually at your detriment so i think all of those are very good points that the movie brings up. And there are thought-provoking more or less to give the audience something to chew on. Um, I will say I am kind of tired of the CIA just being an evil, nefarious organization. I'm sure there are bad people within the CIA. I mean, there's bad people everywhere. But I'm sure the regular people that work at the CIA are kind of tired of themselves as the villain, I understand they're just trying to be a broad brush of a big government. Our government has become too bloated and mm -hmm. whatnot. Uh, so I understand they're saying that there. But nevertheless, the CIA is always just evil from now on, yeah. it seems like. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's also kind of the cliche thing, cliche thing to do, too, is the CIA or the FBI. They're the bad ones right. uh, and stuff. So it is also just the cliche thing to do. But, you know, I am glad that there is kind of this juxtaposition of how Bourne hasn't kept up with the world. Yeah. He is allowing himself to be seen on camera in the in um, Christian's apartment, the hacker guy's apartment. Bourne doesn't even think about that. They connect a flash drive to a computer that's connected to the Internet. Mm -hmm. That was stupid, but it just shows you at the same time that he's just really not quite up to it. He is much older. He's still right. good at fighting, but he's not technologically savvy really whatsoever. He he doesn't know how to do this stuff. He knows basic stuff. So I do like they kind of give the character that weakness of he's kind of almost a relic of the past that has been kind of floated out of time. And now he's being pulled back into this brand new cyber age of espionage and 
he's really not sure how to work very well within it. He only just knows his, like it shows in the beginning, his bare knuckle ways to get through it all. Right. No, I think you're exactly right. He's definitely aged in this movie. And like you were just saying, he does a f- he does things that he, you know, I guess wouldn't expect um, there to be c- repercussions for, like when he puts the flash, plugs in the flash drive to the laptop. And then no, not long after he opens up those files, it's wiped. Right. So yeah, he definitely, and they do show this off. Jason Bourne is getting older. He's not necessarily in his prime. He's slipped away from what he was in the Bourne Ultimatum. And it's kind of interesting to see how in the ending shots, while he does like show Heather, I know the conversation that you had uh, in that car. He's not doing, he's not the one who's going to make the decision for her. He's essentially saying, I know what you're doing. And he's letting her make the decision whether to go for whether to go forward with her plan and with Dewey's plan or to make the right decision and to go a different route or not to go through with it at all. So it's interesting to see, you know, taking on. And this is also something that isn't new, even at the time it came out, bringing back uh, characters and showing them as more older, more uh, stoic than they were before. Um, and then having them react to a more modern situation is nothing new. So we kind of get that same thing with Jason Bourne as well. He, seeing him now in more modern times having to survive when now he's not in his prime anymore. Before he knew everything, how to do everything, but now he doesn't. Now he's pretty much on his own having to learn a, learn a lot of things. One of the most satisfactory things about this fifth movie is it does to me feel very much like a Bourne movie, even though it has been almost 10 years. I do. I do like the camera work in this movie. I think it's a lot better actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the score is good. It does feel just like those older films. The action is well staged. Um, so it does feel very comfortable to the filmmakers that they are kind of slipping back into the born model. And I, the only thing that does look different is this is not shot on film. It's clearly digital, so I do feel like it does look m- more modern than the original trilogy did, which I, I do miss. It really looked like they were shot on film, though, uh, at least from what I was seeing. Maybe it wasn't, but uh, either way, either way. Yeah, you are right. The cinematography, it kind of cuts right between um, Born Legacy and the orig- the, those grittier Paul Greengrass Born movies. Um, because I know we had a conversation in the Born Legacy where I didn't like the cinematography and I said that I even enjoyed Born Supremacy and Born Ultimatum's way of going about it better because I it felt like it was more it felt like it was grittier. Um this time around it's kind of right between the two of them. It's not nearly as shaky and all over the place as it was before, but it's also not so clean that it feels basic like in like uh like in Legacy, which was also trying to emulate this kind of style. It kind of splits between what the 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 two of them so i still enjoy supremacy and ultimatum style but i do like that we're kind of returning to that uh the camera is an active participant in the scene like we saw in supremacy and ultimatum like i said i still enjoy i still would prefer those two but there is a noticeable uh difference here where it's not as shaky as it was before what did you think about um, bringing Nikki back to kind of be the catalyst for the plot with the first act? At first, I was like, ah, Nikki again, because <laughs> in Ultimatum, I noted that I didn't was just was not a fan of her acting. 
Um, it felt like she was there just to kind of phone it in. And it's kind of the same here, but I I do enjoy that they killed her off relatively early because it feels like they're pulling some kind. It's, it feels like it's a sacrifice, right? Nikki's been in with these movies since the very beginning, but it's when she brings Bourne back out of the woodwork that she dies because of it. Uh, she's she dies exposing the truth, right? Um, and that's the truth of Bourne's father. So I enjoyed them taking more of a risk and killing off uh, Julia Stiles' character. Um, at the pretty much at the, I guess it's closer to the midway um, part of this movie, but right way, not long after her character is introduced, she's did that. I did enjoy that, that they're taking more of a risk killing her off. Yeah, I think her death with probably towards the end of the first act is a smart move. I was really shocked when I saw it in theaters. But yeah, so was I. Yeah, coming into it now, I wasn't shocked and I wasn't really emotionally attached um, to her character whatsoever within that trilogy. But mm -hmm. in some ways, she's kind of the lamb to the slaughter where she's always trying to just do the right thing or live her life. But she's just always in the wrong place and just has kind of got sucked into it. So it is fascinating to see how disillusioned she has become with the FBI. She's no longer or the CIA. She's not working for them. She's working for hackers and she's doing everything she can to continue on Bourne's work and Pam Landy's work from Bourne 3 to expose the CIA as being way too heavy handed with their new Iron Hand program. Right. <laughs> and so I, I would say I guess that's kind of where the plot ties together is she's saying that the same people that murdered your family to emotionally manipulate you to be used in this program are going to continue to do the same things, but it's going to be much worse. And you're kind of, you do have a dog in the fight because of your father's death. And you're the only man that has really been capable of exposing this uh, corruption within the government. So right, I right. do like that. Now, unfortunately, I don't think they are able to very tie those together, have those parallel stories converge too well throughout the rest of the film. But nevertheless, it's a good hook. And that motorcycle chase in Athens kind of seems like they're thumbing their nose to Legacy because Legacy ended with a motorcycle chase. And they're like, oh, you think that was good? Yeah, we're, we're going to top <laughs> you. So I yeah. think it's ex really exciting. Yeah, the action scenes are very much a return to form yeah. of what they were before. Uh, I don't find them, ne again, nearly as exhilarating as they, as what they were before, but I, they are returning to that older style, which I did enjoy. Even though they, I feel like they are pretty long. Um, I feel like I've noted this since the end of Ultimatum and into this one. The action scenes seem to go on for a bit long, but I still do enjoy them returning to the more, that Paul Greengrass style um, of filming a Bourne action scene. It did really show me that this movie is, well, I guess I should say that it showed me how disconnected Legacy was with the style Gilroy was going for with mm -hmm. the editing and with the action as well. It felt very born light in some ways and kind of similar, but yeah, this is the born action. I think we were all missing and I'd say I'm glad we got it, but you're right. Um, the Vegas strip is really awesome where they're plowing through cars. It's very exciting. Yep. It goes on way too long to the point of once they do kindly come mono e mono to bring out their fisticuffs. 
I gotta say, I was uh, kind of dozing, actually, during the fist fight. I dozed in theaters and this time around because it's so long. I, I started to fall asleep. Yep. Yeah, I remember in the trailer, that shot of that SWAT vehicle just plowing through a bunch of ve- a bunch of other cars on the road. They really showed that off in the in the trailers. And they show it off here, too. And I gotta say, for Bourne, always trying to keep everything as realistic as possible. I think that this is this one in some parts of legacy um, kind of go over that re- that realm of realism and kind of spill into clo- being closer to a more typical Hollywood action movie by that point. So um, speaking of realism, um, honestly, this movie feels quite cartoonish in its plot and character portrayals i i don't know maybe you don't feel the same way but character motivations are so black and white it's just pretty silly oh yeah uh, yeah <laughs> you're absolutely right they don't exactly they, this movie isn't exactly uh subtle um and we and i noted that with like supremacy it, that one was a bit more complex where you had pam landy who's trying to get a hold on the situation um, and so even though she was a part of the CAA, she's trying to do good by Jason Bourne and even lets him go at the end of Bourne supremacy. Um, whereas in this one, everyone who's a tied to the CAA is bad and anyone who's Jason Bourne <laughs> or tied to Jason Bourne is good. And then you've got the deep dream, uh, which I, I, I want to talk about in a second. Uh, but then you've got the deep dream, uh, Aaron Kalur, who's kind of in the middle of kind of in the middle of these two sides trying to figure out if he should join the CIA or if he should just not join the CIA and have them like access full access to their technology. So yeah, you're right. Everyone's uh, motivation is just kind of spelled out right on the table uh, with very little subtlety. And you are correct. This does kind of, I kind of mentioned this earlier. This is probably the more unrealistic born movie and i mentioned that in the action scenes it's the same with the story too they feel more cartoonish um than they do like real human beings like we've seen before that's something i was just disappointed with is with the previous films there was a lot of moral ambiguity and nuance to character choices that we really had to grapple with as audiences whereas there is a drastic oversimplification of character motivations in this movie yeah the cia director yeah. is still pure evil um the i personally found the i did like the assassin's connections i just found him overall to be a weak character um there's like i said there's no real catharsis at the end which makes it not very much of an impact that he murdered born's father alicia vikander right. has no emotion to her character whatsoever which is a i mean i understand she's trying to be kind of this cold powerful woman but at the same time she does have a lot to offer i was wondering if she was just um not trying to give away ex machina but maybe uh that she's the robot because she escapes in ex machina and um, i'm wondering (laughs) if she goes to work for the cia because she felt pretty similar and once again she's forcing an american accent here just like rachel wise in the last movie i don't like it yeah so i'm just frustrated by um characters motivations aaron kalur is mr morality trying to do the right thing i'm out i'm not going to do it and privacy is privacy and that's how it's going to that's how it's going to be it's just disappointing Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's definitely the most unrealistic board movie that we have. And that's because uh, it's because nothing is subtle right. here. There really isn't anything that uh, I feel is super complex. And maybe that's because this story has so many external forces. Because before, it's always been mostly, uh, mostly Jason Bourne trying to come to terms with some truth that he's trying to learn, right? Something that he uh, is trying to expose, something that he's trying to know for himself, right? That's been mostly the driving forces for those previous movies is he's the one who's driven by some kind of information. And we get that here to a certain degree, but we also have another half of the story. It feels like we have taken more movies from before, which is the converse, which is the situation with his dad, and then just added on to it and have a, a completely separate story here that has very little connection when you really look at it to Bourne's father in that situation. There is some there, but the connection is not very tight. Now, it would have been one thing to have like Bourne's father been the architect 20 years ago for some kind of deep dream technology, but mm -hmm. he's not. There isn't that bridge. I, I briefly mentioned earlier, there's like kind of a small bridge where CIA director Dewey is evil and he's going to create Iron Hand and he got born into it in the first place, which is another thing that frustrates me. I'm tired of all of these people being off screen, but they're still technically involved throughout the whole series, but they don't show right. up until the very end. It, I just always hate that in movies and TV shows. It feels like they're just written in to serve the purpose of the plot. And I hate that kind of retconning, but yeah, nevertheless, I, I think they probably could have brought back old characters to make it more nuanced. Noah Vosen and Pam Landy are not even mentioned in this movie. And that was a right. real bummer. I thought that they just left their plots hanging in, in confusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We kind of get a wrap up in legacy. Uh, sort of. That's about as far as it goes. So that was last movie. Yeah. You're right. They don't mention him here at all. Yeah. And there really is no mention of the last one of legacy. Save for on the screen. We see a number of times. They definitely wanted to make sure we saw the words outcome larks and Emerald Lake. Just so you know, it's still a part of the universe, but it's not really going to be a part of their story, which is just a bummer. Honestly, I think they could have made a better movie if they would have brought in Born Legacy and Landy and Aaron Cross and this doctor. Mm -hmm. Make it more of an ensemble film and show that the world is bigger. But nevertheless, as you said, Alan, it's all about going back in time to figure out Born's true uh, deep dark secret of his father which was just giving me flashes to the amazing Spider-Man, which is not <laughs> a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, overall, I am disappointed that um, that doesn't occur. The other thing is, I know this is a new tech age, but everything is way too easily achieved through technology. Oh, oh, yeah. Like that's your field, Jason so you Bourne, can talk about it more than me. Right. So Jason Bourne, there's... At the very, when they're at the convention, Jason Bourne, uh, he takes two items. One of them is like a location tracker. It's like a little like, like dot or button kind of thing that you, I guess, connect to your phone to, and then you can kind of see where it's at. And then you've got this, I think it's like up to 50 feet record a conversation <laughs> or whatever. Um, 
They exist, yes, I'm sure, but I would assume that the location tracker is probably run over Bluetooth, um, in which case you would have to be within um, 30 feet to connect to it. And then you've also got uh, then you've also got the conversation device thing that can record a conversation up to 50 feet, which I'm sure exists, but I'm sure it's very crappy. Um, so those were those kind of became like just like gimmies there towards the end <laughs> when he uses them. Uh, in terms of what the CAA does, like oh, I'm gonna hack through the phone. Um, sure, I, I suppose that's maybe possible given a modern um, given a modern phone that's maybe run over Ethernet, but I, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of this techno babble is weird. <laughs> it just it feels like it's there because it's just uh, it's uh, trigger words. Um, so I can't say it's very realistic in that aspect. There are maybe pieces of it that may be, but they really don't go into detail. So it just kind of makes it come off as like, oh, it's, what? So, And you know, I understand they're trying, they need to progress the plot along. This is still technically the second longest film in the franchise. Yeah. But nevertheless, when Heather Lee is trying to figure out who hacked into the CIA, she does this. I mean, it just looks so simple. She's like Rinkiewicz Airport women ages this to this who have a connection to the CIA. Oh, it's Nikki Parsons. Wow. I figured it out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know. And then somehow Nikki knows where Bourne is. I don't know. It all is very contrived. It all comes together way too smoothly. And there are very basic views of right and wrong how the CIA director says, hey, you know, very much like a bully, he's trying to strong arm him, strong arm him, and he says, "Give us access, total access to Deep Dream." And he says, "No, yeah. I care about protecting people's privacy." And he says, "Well, then you're accountable for the world as is. You are accountable." Yeah. And Aaron, I, okay, I'm just gonna say it, Alan. The whole I think um, Riz Ahmed as Aaron Kalur is uh, awful, and I think his whole thing is awful. All right, uh, let's get into Deep Dream now. I've been waiting for this. Um, <laughs> I, Deep Dream, okay, so Deep Dream, they kind of played off as some kind of Facebook of the Jason Bourne world um, universe. Right. It's like a mixture of, of uh, Facebook, if Facebook wasn't actually selling all their data, and a mixture of Apple, where Apple is doing a pretty good job at, you know, uh, security right. uh, it's kind of a mix between the two of them right but i don't know what they do they say <laughs> it's like some kind of social media kind of thing where like a like, again a facebook um well we never see it in use we never see it in use uh the we do see one convention uh or like one time the i think it's actually our introduction to aaron kalur right. he is talking about privacy <laughs> and with, the, with deep dream which is the most basic of conversations yeah uh he says we'll make sure that if you use deep dream your data is safe and then everyone just goes nuts <laughs> which is i would consider it. oh i know and i would consider that to be uh suspicious if oh, he yeah. came out and only said that <laughs> And then walked off stage. I would say, okay, are they actually going to fulfill everything that they said they were going to do? Because they did not go into detail at all. And I get it. They're trying to be like, you know, they're trying to be like basic. So you can like 
draw your own conclusions as to what this is, making the assumption that it's like a Facebook and Apple kind of thing. But yeah, they don't explain Deep Dream hardly at all, except to say that it's some social media program that has that has privacy as its number one priority that is being threatened by the CIA. That's essentially all that it has to offer. And this is exactly where I am missing Tony Gilroy's screenwriting. Gilroy would have not been this simplified. We noted in our review of Legacy that it was far too complex with the techno babble of viraling out and chemistry. They do their research, I would say, too far sometimes in their movies. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And Michael Clayton, I felt like, yeah, Gilroy must be a lawyer to know how to write a movie that makes this much sense. These screenwriters have – it's green grass and rouse. They, they don't know anything about technology. They're not even going to try to give mm-hmm. any kind of encryption, you know, uh, 256 megabit encryption, whatever it is. They're not even going to try to give us any of those examples. Um, you're right. It is so oversimplified that – I understand they're going for these very just basic boogeyman concepts of what if the government and Apple teamed up and they would take over the world. All right, I get it. But it's I understand they're trying to play into world real world fears, but it is done in such a simplified way that I, I can't take Deep Dream seriously. I can't take Aaron Kalur seriously. I don't know a thing about him. I don't know a thing about half these characters anyway. It's just frustrating. Yeah, and even the name Deep Dream, Deep Dream is it sounds just cartoonish. <laughs> but it yeah, no, it, it is it is so uh it is so basic that lacking the it's lacking the realism that Tony Gilroy brought with the especially with supremacy. Um because at the same time too, it, I feel like the sense of scale here is way too big for a Jason Bourne movie because in previous movies has pretty much been Jason Bourne and against the CIA, right? Which is still the same here, but we're also bringing in Deep Dream, which they even come out and say, oh, we have 1.3 billion users on right now. Um, in fact, it actually kind of feels like that. Oh, I forget what it's called, but it's in uh, it's in uh, Terminator Genesis. Oh, uh, I think it's actually called it's Genesis. Genesis, yeah. Yeah, right, that's right. It's, it's exactly it. It's, it's now that I'm thinking about it, it's the exact same thing as Terminator <laughs> Genesis. Uh, anyways, um, my point is the scale, the sense of scale for this Jason Bourne movie is I, I feel too big. We're bringing the deep and Deep Dream is probably the biggest, uh, the biggest problem with that sense of scale is because it's a global event now. It's not necessarily something between Jason Bourne and the CIA. No, it's affecting more than just that. It's the it's like I said, it's a global thing for the decision to be made of what should the privacy be for Deep Dream. Um, now they don't really have rely on it too heavily, so I can't knock it too hard. But I still will say my criticism when it comes to scale is that the scale is too big. It's not necessarily as internal of a struggle as it was before, which I found to be more interesting. Well, they can't even copy Terminator properly because that was a ticking time bomb until Genesis, aka Skynet, would go online and ruin the future. I mean, in many ways, this does feel like the end to more of a 70s or 80s thriller movie where they're at a big convention. Think of In the Line of Fire. Think of The Bodyguard where, and this is, I mean, it's kind of a direct ripoff of those movies anyway, where the shooter is going to take out the president or it's going to take out the movie star or something. 
in this case, it's going to take out the new tech giant. Those are the new celebrities. And, right. But it's always like um, some big major event that's going to happen. This is such kind of a watery event where Kalur is just going to oust the CIA as being together. I think would have been more pressing is if Kalur would have um, eventually kowtowed to the CIA for maybe they were threatening him in some other way. And then Bourne had to stop um, Deep Dream from going online and accessing everyone's privacy. And I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't fleshed out this idea very much. But nevertheless, I think that would have been more pressing than um, Dewey's like, okay, Aaron's going to out us. Just have him assassinated in public. Uh, it's just – it's not as compelling. Um, and Bourne is – I don't think uh, Bourne or Kalur ever know – really know or care about each other. So I think that's a major mistake as well as to not have these characters. Um, maybe Deep Dream going online, would they be able to fully track Jason Bourne forever once and for all? And he would never be able to live off of the grid. I don't know. Maybe he has to keep Aaron from that, save Aaron from that. There's just so many ideas that I feel like would have made a better screenplay and story. I see. I guess I don't really mind that they don't have that. Like, I, I don't mind that there isn't a ticking time bomb. Um, they are harkening on Jason Bourne's privacy of, well, if deep, if they deep dream does go online and the CAA does take a hold of it and do what they say they're going to do with iron hand, are they actually going to be able to track and take out Jason Bourne? I think that's the main, that's the main, uh, scary here with, especially when you're relating deep dream to Jason Bourne. Can I wish that maybe they gave a bit more detail to Deep Dream, which we've noted before, these movies are pretty rich in detail with a lot of the sub-elements. But in this one, I feel they dropped the ball on a lot of the stuff, which kind of makes Deep Dream feel like it's not nearly as significant up to the plot as it should be. Because it's definitely there, and it's definitely a main topic, especially when they're talking about privacy. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like it plays any kind of significant role outside of just serving for that thematic, instead of just serving a thematic element right and i get that we already see the cia has immense power to just tap into anyone's phone wipe their computers track anyone in real time which seems a little far-fetched but yeah we do see they already have that immense power but it's all theoretical as to what they truly could do with deep dream we're never given any kind of example we're given it in theory in basically one scene and i think that was a big mistake is to basically just explain to the audience the possible the possible ramifications of what could happen and think you know what if they did this with the patriot act or with snowden but it's you know 10 times larger and it lasts forever right. i don't know that's just too like you said this the scale is far too big for us to really comprehend that especially without any kind of concrete examples so yeah uh, they dropped the ball on that again um did you ever see the movie The Circle with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson? I have. I have seen The Circle. I don't remember liking it at all. But it it now that you mention it, and I, I guess I was thinking The Circle. I was trying to, because I knew there was a movie on my mind that reminded me a lot of this movie. Um, yes, The Circle harkens on very similar ideas um, that this one does. Yes, I have seen it. Yeah, and I haven't seen it, so I wasn't sure. I know it wasn't very good, but I was wondering maybe they did some things better. Um, no, no. <laughs> well, we can't, we can say that, uh, social media as a scary thing is used a lot, 
um, within the 2010s, unfriended. Yep, uh, I've seen it. Searching the circle, nerve, all using like electronic and social media type platforms to create craft a narrative. I think this is one of the worst movies ever that's tried to attempt it, though. I guess I can't really say that it doesn't necessarily go full in all the way into what those other movies do searching and unfriended. Um, they go, they just dive right into that same topic. This one kind of just uses it more as a thematic element. Um, one that I feel is not necessarily fleshed out very well. Um, but it's not necessarily the center of attention like those other movies are. So I guess I, I I don't feel the same way on that aspect. My final two major complaints for this movie is uh, trying to bring Bourne in. I'm really sick of this because they've been trying to do this ever since the alternate ending in the first film. So this idea has been present for 14 years. I can bring Bourne in. Stop. Who cares? They don't want to bring him in. They want to take him out. It's a tired idea. It's dumb. And the other one is... Um, I feel like bringing in Bourne's dad didn't do anything for me, and it seemed like Bourne remembered, but it seemed like he didn't really care at all once he did remember. There was just no emotion to that whatsoever. So that was probably my greatest disappointment, is if you're going to bring in the connection with his dad and do almost nothing with it and not try and even make it emotional... I don't know. That seemed like they were grasping at straws, just trying to manipulate us emotionally into caring about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess we and we've kind of already talked about this too. The connection of bringing Bourne in in this movie feels rather weak. Uh, we've talked about it before uh, earlier where we said that it is interesting that they're bringing up a movie dealing with privacy and then bringing Jason Bourne to work with that because he is definitely somebody who's wanted to go off the grid. So an interesting premise, but they don't really explore that too much. There is, yeah, dad is brought into the situation, but like we've been talking about, his connection to the other half of the story is weak at best. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Um, it is an interesting idea, though, to bring in a person, a character who's wanted to go off the grid, and now he's forced with this, um, he's forced with this, uh, fear that he's going to be put everywhere. Like they, they're going to know where he's at at all times, right? There is that fear, but they don't really play that up. Um, so it kind of makes me wonder why did Jason Bourne have to come back for this movie? Why couldn't it have been somebody else? I think it does a better job if it were somebody else. I think it would, this seems to be making a better movie unless they handled it differently to have Jason Bourne because he does come with that aspect of, you know, he's already off the grid. He wants to stay off the grid. But there could have been more done with it. Well, once again, this kind of gives me flashes to legacy. They're setting up a world. In this one, they are setting up a new world for a new trilogy, very much like Terminator Genesis, where, yeah, you are getting a part of the puzzle. We're introducing characters. This is going to be more so a three-part story, just like despite the original trilogy being contained films, nevertheless, there is a three-part arc to all of them. So I can see them doing that here. I just don't find it very compelling. And I don't know, maybe we'll talk about Born 6 someday and this will all come <laughs> together. And then we can watch this movie and be like, oh yeah, in the next sequel, this like makes so much more sense. But I don't know. So in the meantime, Alan, <laughs> I'm pretty curious. What is your rating and recommendation for Jason Bourne?
Well, the thing I like about Jason Bourne, uh, the movie, not the character, is that it is hearkening. It is an interesting uh, dilemma to have a character who's been trying to, I just was talking about this, was off the grid and is trying to stay off the grid, but is being, he's, there's a fear that he will no longer be able to live that luxury. He will no longer be able to live down what he's done uh, because of Deep Dream coming online. That's an interesting premise. Uh, they don't really go too far with it. It's an interesting idea. I like the way Ike, they're bringing this in and talking about it. And I think it does much better job than The Circle does. Uh, don't watch The Circle. It's a very bad movie. Um, but at the same time, it, this movie, this film, this story feels wholly incomplete. It feels like the the plot, the subplot of of Jason Bourne's dad has very little to do with Deep Dream. There are two halves of the story, and we've said this since the beginning of this podcast. There's Jason Bourne and his dad's side of the story, and there's Jason Bourne and Deep Dream's side of the story. CAA is kind of in both camps, but it's Jason Bourne that's the middle. That's the middle glue to stick these two together. The problem is that glue is not is not very sticky it kind of pulls apart pretty easily and it kind of makes this film feel very disjointed at the end of it. So I think I like this more than legacy, but it's a weak film. Unfortunately, I, I there are things I like about it. There are things I don't like about it. Unfortunately, I'm kind of right in the middle of the road. I think I don't like it more than I do like it. There are interesting aspects in it, but when you look at it as a whole package, I don't find it very satisfying. So at the end of the day, five out of 10, but it's still not going to be recommended for me. Jason Bourne may not be a necessary continuation of the trilogy, but it is nevertheless a fun, albeit simple ride. Matt Damon seamlessly slips back into his famous role, which is great to see. Greengrass strikes the perfect balance of shaky cam and in-focus adrenaline. Editing, the score, and stunts are all very well done. I'm glad this feels like another Bourne movie, despite being filmed nearly a decade later. But this brings me to my biggest question. Did they need to continue Jason's story? I appreciate they involve his father in the plot, thereby making it a deeper personal revelation, but unfortunately they never adequately explore it. Not to mention, the plot is padded out by this utterly meaningless struggle between the idiotic Aaron Kalur and the nefarious CIA director. It doesn't go anywhere. Nothing is nuanced about this franchise any longer. It is a bummer to see this franchise has become so cartoonish with heroes needing super serum and bad guys just taking out anyone that stands in their way. My feelings really haven't changed about this film since I left the theater. This movie is a non-offensive excursion further into the Jason Bourne mythos, but overall it's really unnecessary and nowhere near satisfactory. Jason Bourne receives six stars out of 10 with a weak recommend. So the biggest question is Bourne six going to happen. I, you, I hope not. There isn't, there isn't <laughs> anything that says that it's going to most of the things I've found. I have said that they wish it would happen. <laughs> so I'm taking that to mean rise of right now. The plan to make a Born 6 is something that has yet to come to fruition. You know, it's been four years and they haven't done anything. Matt Damon mm -hmm. is at least in his 50s now. Everybody's older. 
I don't think they're ever going to continue this series. I mean, I guess I should never say never because we just got a Rambo sequel last year. That's right. Yeah. Sylvester Stallone is in his 70s. So Matt Damon could be playing this character for the next few decades. I don't know. It is kind of difficult to say because um, Universal did try and reboot the world, the mythos, the universe, whatever you want to call it, on USA last year with Treadstone, but that show got canceled after one season. So I just have a hard time seeing anything born ever. And I guess the question, Alan, is do you want a sequel that will tie together Legacy and Jason Bourne? Do you want just a sequel to Legacy or just a sequel to Jason Bourne or no sequel at all? If I had, if it was my decision, I would say leave it. Don't go back to Jason Bourne. I'm sure that it will be a rainbow situation where after so many years, so many decades, they'll bring back Jason Bourne for whatever reason. Uh, But as of right now, I don't really want a sequel. And I've been kind of disappointed with these last two. And I I find that that original trilogy does just a, a really good job at following Jason Bourne's plight. Now it feels like they're trying to retread it, but with more modern, uh, more modern storytelling, it doesn't really work so far, as far as we've seen. So no, I would say just leave it, let it die. <laughs> that would be my opinion. Uh, yeah, I agree. I really don't want any more, inst- any more movie installments in this Bourne series whatsoever. We don't need it. So that makes uh, for the kind of the last two movies, which feel more like appendages that are just kind of tacked yeah. on to the trilogy. Um, you, you didn't recommend this one and you didn't recommend the last one either. So that brings into question, what is your ranking of the pentology? I guess we could call it. I, yeah, I guess technically it is. Uh, so my rankings would go supremacy, ultimatum identity. All those are recommends. All those are actually sevens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Bourne, and then Bourne Legacy, both of which are not recommends. So that's, yeah, that's my my list. Ultimate identity, Ultimate and Supremacy are pretty close, but I think Supremacy has that angle that it takes a more um, personal angle, especially there in its last scene that I really enjoyed. So those are my rankings. Mine is kind of similar, but uh, with a little bit of a different thought. So my number one is still the Born Supremacy. My number two is the Born Identity. My number three is the Born Ultimatum, and my number four is Jason Born. And finally, I have the Born Legacy at number five. Okay. So I have recommended the first four films. The only one I didn't recommend was Legacy. Um, it was close whether or not to recommend. Jason Bourne and close whether I should recommend Legacy. Um, of course, I was going to recommend Ultimatum, but honestly, I was questioning this movie. Um, Jason Bourne and Ultimatum are very close to me. I was mm-hmm. trying to okay. determine which one I should put on top of the other, but u- ultimately, Ultimatum is a better movie and a better wrap up to the series for so many different reasons. Go ahead and listen to our review of Ultimatum to see why. But nevertheless, because of because of this score you just gave the movie, that brought down your overall average score of the series from a seven to a six. Interesting. 
Yes, and same for me. We both have the same average score of 6 out of 10, which for me makes this a mediocre pentology. Now, I think the trilogy overall is good, but the pentology overall is very mediocre and not very good. Yeah, if we since we are considering Jason Bourne and uh, the Bourne Legacy as a part of this Bourne series, it is rather mediocre, unfortunately. If it were just the first three, it would be solid but unfortunately it is not those first three uh only it's you got two other films that are let that are i would consider to be leached on top of this it is interesting because i color-coded all of our scores i gave seven seven and eights are green five and sixes are orange and four and below is red so if you look overall you have three greens i have two greens we both have two oranges and I have one red. So I made the comment to you after the podcast last night that um, I've been harder on the series than you have. Mm-hmm. And I guess that still remains, even though you have two fives. I technically have a four, but two sixes, but you did give out three sevens. So we kind of arrived at the same destination, but our scores are kind of very different and nuanced ways i guess right it's kind of that it's kind of that thing where a number doesn't exactly explain a person's complete thoughts because mm-hmm. yeah like you were just saying you are definitely more critical of the series than i was i there are definitely uh i mean we're definitely critical of a lot of aspects of these movies but in an overall sense you were definitely more critical than i was and i know we also talked about that i think that original trilogy i do come in with some nostalgia uh, especially for ultimatum um and some of identity but you are correct uh even though we arrive at the same score they're the same score for two different reasons and i did want to just briefly go across the board of averaging out all of the scores now that we can do that i think it tells an interesting story these scores would be very these scores would be pretty high actually very high but these last two films really ruined the franchise with its streak of very high scores. So IMDb has an average score across all five movies with a seven um, letterbox with a three rotten tomatoes is not impressive with a 73% across the franchise uh, audience score, 77% and a meta score of 69. So you can see how it brought all of those down because mm. the original trilogy was so highly rated. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Alan, I don't know if I know this answer this question, so I guess we'll find out with the listeners. Is Jason Bourne a pickup or pass for you? That's a pass. I I think I considered picking it up at one point, partially because I was like, well, I've got the other three. But then I think I decided I probably should watch it first before I decide that. And that was a while ago. Um since I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna pass. I'm not necessarily being a completionist is not something that bothers me if I'm if I don't complete the series or something. I can I can have movies um, that I'm missing from a series because I don't like them. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna pass. I did get it for a Christmas present a few years ago, and uh, I've never taken it off my shelf until this review. So. I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately with these reviews, but <laughs> nevertheless, I am kind of a completionist, at least when it comes to the Jason Bourne series. So I have every piece of medium now that's been put out. Um, well, not medium so far as books or anything like that, but at least as far as 
uh, video goes, I have all of that now to watch whenever I want. But honestly, I do really enjoy that original trilogy. That's what I'm going to be pulling out. And I'm just going to have to be a completionist if I'm watching it with somebody new that's never seen the rest of them. And it's like, okay, I've got them. We got to watch them. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to go back and watch Supremacy now that we've watched Jason Bourne. I guess I would say that this is kind of a divisive film franchise where some people think certain movies are great and other people think they're bad. So that's kind of the overall story is people tend to think the series overall is um, definitely more so good than bad, but nevertheless, fandom is split on which are the good ones and which are the bad ones. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, Alan, after watching Jason Bourne, what would you recommend the listeners check out? I think I mentioned Mission Impossible in Bourne Identity. Um, I'm going to specifically call out Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I think this came out around the same time as this one. Maybe even the same year. I I don't exactly remember. But I did get some Mission Impossible, especially Ghost Protocol vibes off of this. Because that was the first uh, Mission Impossible movie that I saw, especially in the theater. Another one also would be Argo. Um, I do feel that uh, this it's got some similar elements to uh, Jason Bourne as a whole. So yeah, those are the two movies that I would, I would recommend after Jason Bourne. Maybe I'm going to cause some controversy. I don't know, but I'm going to recommend the John Wick franchise as a whole. As of right now, it's a trilogy. A fourth film is coming. John Wick has been consistently better than these movies. I like, I, I'm going to say it. Without Jason Bourne, there is no John Wick, but John Wick has done it better. So I definitely recommend you check out John Wick films. They are a blast. They're so good. So the question after the show, listeners, is should they make a sequel to Jason Bourne or just let the series rest once and for all? And the character. I feel bad for the guy. He just wants to be left alone. And <laughs> Nikki's like, you care about this. You'll do the right thing. He's like, what do you want from me? Just leave me alone. Well, she sucked him back in. She, well, she died. So, but nevertheless, Alan and I gave our opinions on the whole series. We want to know your opinions on the series. And of course, go ahead and rank the pentology of films. Maybe some people have this as their number one. Legacy is number two. Ultimatum is three. Supremacy as four and identity as five. I don't know. I'm sure there is somebody out there like that. So I'm very curious to see the rankings as well. Now, for our next movie review series, we were going to do the Bill and Ted films, but we're going to be taking our cue from the movie theaters that keep pushing everything back all the time due to the virus. So we're going to be pulling that as well. We're going to be pushing Bill and Ted back to the beginning of next year. So we definitely have that to look forward to. I'm very eager to see that. But in the meantime, we're going to be taking kind of a bit more of a lighthearted tone aside from the heavy Nolan and the intense Bourne films we're going to be reviewing all five Karate Kid films I'm kind of a novice to that series I don't know about you Alan I have seen the first one and I have seen the last one I think I've seen parts of two and parts of the next Karate Kid uh but I'm also pretty new to this series as well uh uh, and I, I wouldn't say that I will remember too much from the ones that I have seen. So I'm kind of curious to see what my thoughts are coming back to it. I'm curious as well, especially because the franchise has kind of been reinvigorated in the recent years with 
the YouTube original series Cobra Kai, mm -hmm. where the characters are all grown up. So um, we're not going to be reviewing that um, explicitly for the podcast, but nevertheless, we are going to be reviewing all five movies. I actually just watched The Karate Kid last year. Um, hasn't been that long, but once again, I don't remember a lot about that movie. So I am eager to watch, and I've never seen two, three bits and pieces of the next Karate Kid, and I never saw the remake in theaters. Didn't hear some good things about that one, mm -hmm. but we're going to get there. So I'm excited to review all of those films. Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on our Jason Bourne movie review series. Hopefully we will get to finish up the Nolan series here with Tenet this year. It's not looking good, but hey, fingers crossed we will get to uh, review Tenet. But nevertheless, we will definitely see you next week with The Karate Kid. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual, and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Uh, Jason Bourne. Oh, did, did you not save it? Make sure I got it. I uh, just need to pull it up on IMDb, make sure, in case I need it. Oh. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Welcome back, listeners, to the fifth. No. Is this the fifth one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Gosh. Why can't I remember that? <laughs> it's because in my Excel file, I have the the mini series in there. So that's number one. Uh, Dang it. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Come to find out, Dewey's assassin, which is the same assassin that killed Bourne's father and Nikki. Well... <laughs>